You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. We are gathered here as advisors, as scientists. The kind of place we expect a ghost to like to wander around. I'll help you. I'm something of a witch. Welcome to Mission Spooky. I'm your host for today, and your cryptid enthusiast, Cord. And with me, as per usual, is the queen of everything, Kiki. Hello. How are you? I am great, and we have a special guest today, and that is Casey Sutton, the author of an absolutely amazing new book called Malthus Necromancer Unchained. Yes. How are you doing today? I am doing great. How are you? Better. <laughs> Those are three very uh, intimidating words put together. <laughs> yeah. Malthus Necromancer Unchained. It was funny, actually, because I, I made it into a, I don't know if you guys ever uh, are on Reddit too much, but there's a Reddit fantasy, like fantasy book group subreddit, and they do a fantasy book reading bingo. The bingo categories are like different things, like book is a fantasy book with, you know, undead or book is, you know, uh, this or that. So Malthus Necromancer Unchained made it in there because it had both Malthus, the name of the character in the title, and then also their job description as a necromancer in the title. So that was <laughs> nice. kind of funny. Oh, we do like bingo here. Yes. <laughs> and on Reddit, but didn't didn't see that. I've won some crystals off of bingo. Hey, nice. Good for you, Cord. <laughs> That's about where my bingo uh, career ends. That's... <laughs> So before we get into it, uh, I just want to let the listeners know that I received a copy of your book as an advanced reader copy, and that was through Book Sirens, which uh, basically anybody can join that. And we get to read the books in advance, and then we give reviews. We do not get paid for that. That is just strictly me being an ex-bookseller and wanting to read and review great books. And this one I finished in three days. <laughs> <laughs> I legit could not put it down. And I told the boys that I was like, guys, you got to read this book three days. I also wanted to tell you, Casey, that while I was reading it, so I, I had on what I call my take over the world playlist on Spotify. And <laughs> I was listening to that and then at my Kindle and I'm like, well, let me get it out. And I start reading and reading. And then I just didn't stop. But the whole time... During the fight scenes, it was just by pure happenstance. I'm listening to like Rammstein and like Disturbed and like all this heavy metal music. And I'm like, it's so intense. That's all. Awesome. Worked out well for me. So uh, so if you guys want to pick up the book and you want some music to go with it, I'll share my Spotify <laughs> Take Over the World playlist because apparently it works really well. Yeah, I, I like that kind of music. I have some of that on my like usually my workout playlist for writing. I can't. Uh, it's kind of weird, but I can't have music that has like lyrics in it. Like, I don't know, words are too distracting while I'm trying to think about words. So I usually listen to a lot of the times like Game of Thrones soundtracks or you know, video game music, anything kind of without lyrics. It only works for me if the songs are just so ingrained in my head that the lyrics will just go to the back of my brain kind of thing. Yeah. So I can I can actually read and listen. But yeah, 
I get it. I used to listen to Mozart when I was actually doing my homework. Yeah, I love classical music too. Back in the day, all the way back, <laughs> back in the way back day, <laughs> in the before times. <laughs> yeah, JC is usually here to make fun of how old I am, so I have to do it myself this time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, I'm not gonna do that. That's low hanging fruit, you know. <laughs> Anyway, so this is an awesome book. This is going to be a series. Yes, I I am. I'm working on book two now, slowly but surely. I have a, definitely have a lot planned for book two, a lot more planned. Uh, it's going to be pretty expansive and a lot longer, I, I hope, than the first one. So it'll take me six days to read instead of three. Is that <laughs> what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. And unfortunately, probably me, like two years to write. I'm uh... a, slow reader and a slow writer i'm trying to uh pick up the pace but it's kind of hard i don't know each book is a different challenge i i know where the book is going to end and i know where it starts but there's definitely a lot in the middle i have to work out and one of the big big things that i got from most of the people you know who from really all perspectives who really love the book who are kind in the middle or even from a few people so they you know didn't like the book because of this a lot of them all wanted more of Malfa Pass. So I'm also going to have some parts in there about him while he was still at the Magic Academy, kind of like interludes, I guess, not necessarily flashbacks. So speaking of which, tell us a little bit, like give us a little synopsis of what the book is about. Yes. So the story starts out kind of right in the middle of things. And Malfus is a necromancer. And necromancy in this world is illegal. I created a world that is very much based around Dungeons and Dragons. I am a huge D&D nerd. I've been a dungeon master for most of my life since like the sixth grade. And I loved reading books like Driz de Orden and some of those kind of YA fantasy D&D books. And then growing up, I fell in love with Joe Abercrombie and his Grimdark series. You know, not only did it kickstart my interest in reading again, but it kind of rekindled my interest in wanting to be a writer again. And I really wanted a adult version of a Dungeons and Dragons type world. So my tagline for my book is Dungeons and Dragons meets Quentin Tarantino. Because I also love Quentin Tarantino <laughs> movies. And, you know, I kind of, you know, see my storytelling style a little bit like that. So Malthus is a necromancer. And so, like I said, necromancy is illegal in this world. And it's illegal for some reasons that are kind of hinted at in the book, but not really talked about a whole lot. But Basically, there was this kind of ancient calamity revolving around necromancy, and so the church rose to power to make sure that there's no more necromancers going to cause ancient calamity. Malthus is already arrested at the start of the story. He starts a story in a pair of uh, manacles, and this inquisitor is leading him across the country so that he can be taken back to the holy capital and tried, tortured, and executed. But on their way, they're passing by this ancient calamity called the Scar, which is kind of just a giant blemish across the land. While they're passing by that, they are ambushed by gnolls, uh, which are some of my favorite monsters from Dungeons and Dragons. Hell yeah. They've always kind of fascinated me and really grew on me when I was in South Africa, which I'll get back to and talk more about again uh, in a little bit. But 
while I was there, you know, we went on a few safaris and got to listen to hyenas and just their like chittering laughter at night all around you, like really stuck with me. I was just thinking about that with Knowles and how creepy that would sound surrounded by all those noises at night. Anyways, they're they're ambushed by Knowles and the Inquisitor, the really good fighter, he fights some of them off, but then there's too many, so they're forced to flee on horseback. As they're running, they come across this fort. There are these military outposts around the scar to make sure that monsters don't get into kind of like the civilized world. This military outpost has already been under siege by Knowles for several weeks, but you know, the Inquisitor and the Necromancer don't know that. They're running through the forest at night trying to get away from the Knowles, and then they end up coming to this fort and riding through this clearing, and, you know, they open the gates and get inside. And basically all the soldiers, like I said, you know, they've been under siege by the Knowles already for several weeks, so a lot of the soldiers are already injured and wounded. And, you know, one more major attack would be the end of the fort and the rest of the soldiers there. And the commander of the fort knows that, and he he's actually kind of one of my favorite characters. He's a really fun character to write, but he's a um, an alcoholic army commander who's resigned to this being the end of his army career at any moment, you know, when the Knolls come and wipe them all out. And then the Inquisitor and the Necromancer, Malthus, arrive. The Inquisitor's obviously looking for aid, but the commander realizes that the Necromancer may be their only chance at survival. That's the blurb I have on the back of the book. And then it ends with, will the dead be enough to save the living? Nice. (laughs) And I also have a a prequel short story that takes place like a year before Malthus is captured. And it's called Greedy as a Ghoul. And that's on Amazon as well. And the short story is completely free. So, you know, if you are interested in the book, it's something you can check out and read about, get a kind of a taste of my writing before you dive into a whole book. Because I know a book can be a commitment. What was the short story called? Greedy as a Ghoul. All right, I'm in. Yeah, the short stories were kind of fun, too. I have actually, I only have one that's published, but I have a few others that I have worked on. And you asked about book two, but I'm actually kind of working on book two and three at the same time. So when I finished the main novel, I actually finished that first. I sent it off to the editor, and I was waiting for several months before I got my edits back. So I wanted to keep writing, but I didn't really know where book two was going to go yet. So I started working on some prequel short stories, and I wanted to do, as you can tell by the title, Greedy as a Ghoul has some ghouls in it. I wanted to do something where I would introduce a new type of undead or a new type of magic spell or both at the same time in these little short stories. And so I started out with Greedy as a Ghoul, but I have a, another one with ghosts after that. And basically, there were kind of like these little short stories that happened before Malthus was captured, but while he's still on the run, I guess. And I'm working on putting those together, and it's going to be kind of like a prequel novel. You know, I'm working on some of those while I'm also working on book two, so... A lot going on, but I, I'm definitely continuing Malthus's journeys in book two as well. But yeah, the short stories are, are fun to do. It's a different writing style, working on something more short and compact like that. 
One of the things that I love about Malthus as a character is that he's uh, a bit of a coward. Yeah. He is not really cut out to be a hero. It's very interesting. So that was kind of funny too. I Malthus, Necromancer Unchained is the second full book that I've written. The first book I wrote, you know, I don't think I'll ever publish. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. I think everybody needs to kind of work on a book. Maybe this isn't true for everybody. It was true for me. I, I needed to write a throwaway book just to do the work to figure out how to write. This wasn't the book I wanted to publish. YA isn't really the kind of writing style that I want to write. Uh, and so anyways, you know, I, I wrote this whole book and I sent it off to an editor to get some feedback. And one of the main things that she said was that if the characters had some flaws that would make them more believable and more relatable. And so the whole story where, you know, Malthus kind of started from and took off from was really interesting. And I'll, I'll get into that in a bit. But I, when I started Malthus, it was really just a writing exercise. And I wasn't really planning to publish this one either. Like I, I wanted to just do this writing exercise where I focused on flawed characters. And so I got this weird idea in my head of, you know, definitely wanting things to be in a fantasy setting. And then I looked at, ironically, Joker and the Batman and reversed them and was like, what if Batman was the bad guy and the Joker was not necessarily the good guy, but kind of the main character and then gave them a bunch of flaws. And then I had Malthus and the Inquisitor. So yeah, Malthus is kind of cowardly. He is not the best necromancer. You know, he's not like some kind of prodigy hero in the book or anything. And he is kind of a cowardly, deceitful person. And that was kind of fun to work with too. You know, he's kind of a morally gray person, but he's not necessarily evil. He's just kind of a cowardly screw up who knows necromancy and finds himself in a very uh, tricky situation and has to think his way out of it. I read quite a few other reviews before writing my own. And one of the things that was sort of funny is, I don't know, I'm sure you've probably seen it at least one of these, but Malthus is being compared to Loki in the Marvel Universe, which I thought <laughs> yeah. was really funny and also not that far of a stretch. He's definitely the reluctant hero in a way. Like, am I actually doing this? Yeah. <laughs> All of this sucks. I don't really want to be doing any of this, you know, like, but here we are. One of the reviews, I think it might have been on Goodreads, um, Goodreads and not Amazon. I can't remember if someone described him as somewhere on a spectrum between Jack Sparrow and Loki. And I thought that was awesome. Yeah. That is certainly an interesting combination of characters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it is. That's perfect. I didn't even think of Jack Sparrow, but yeah, the, but you have heard of me, you know, that's. <laughs> yeah. You're the worst necromancer I've ever heard of. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's perfect. That's, that's exactly <laughs> it. Like. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you even doing like do you actually know what to do here like uh, what the hell dude and then but it works in a roundabout sort of way no spoilers right the other thing that i saw which i actually did not agree with when it came to reviews of you have a way of changing up in the chapters where we get to know a little bit about the soldiers who are fighting i thought that was absolutely brilliant 
I loved it because as the battle is going on, you start, well, you should, as the reader, start having some feelings for some of these people. And when things start to go bad, you know, that's what you want to do as an author. You want to bring me in and be like, oh, crap, this person didn't make it or this person did. It was funny to me to read that at least one person that I remember reading was like, I didn't like how the author kept changing to people who didn't matter. And I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> As a DM, all NPCs matter. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> Hashtag all NPCs matter. Um, I feel like it's especially important when something like necromancy is involved because now you have a moral quandary if somebody dies. Like, did exactly. I actually care about this person enough to not like technically <laughs> mess up their, their dead body? in a way that they definitely didn't want it to be treated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was, I do, I did see that a lot. And so there, I have two answers, or I guess two responses for that. And so one is, I I really took this page or this idea from Joe Abercrombie. Have, have either of you guys read Joe Abercrombie or his first law series? I actually own the series. I've yeah. heard of it, but I haven't read any. The Heroes was one of his middle books and his the heroes was really based around um i think like one kind of major battle which is kind of like how my book is joe abercrombie was the first person that i've read books about where he does that where you're like in a fight scene and ah man i love the way he does it and it's like it just transitions from and i i couldn't really do this because i had knolls on the opposing side but one thing that's really cool in his version of when he does it is it's like it transitions from the person who just died to the person who just killed the other person until they die from usually somebody on the other side and it kind of like bounces back and forth i got the idea from him but i like you said cord i realized you know in the book i didn't want it to just be okay they're soldiers and then the soldiers are dying and, you know, now there's zombies. There needed to be a connection to the soldiers coming the zombie. I do think it was really important to show this connection of people who have pasts that get revealed in just a few sentences or this paragraph. And then they're also hinted at or referenced again. Yeah, I definitely wanted that to be a, a forefront piece of, it, of realizing the sacrifice that the soldiers are making. One of my favorite books, and I'm not even coming from a fantasy standpoint, one of my favorite books is All Quiet on the Western Front. And that oh, yeah. entire book is essentially saying, like, these aren't just mannequins holding guns. Like, these are people with a history and a personality and stuff. Like, it's important to, like, establish that. Yeah, that was a great book. I really want to watch the new movie they made of that as well. It's heavy. It was awesome. <laughs> it was incredible. Awesome. It was incredible. It was heavy. Yeah, and I'm I'm an army veteran as well. I've I've been to Iraq once, and Afghanistan twice, and so I, you know, that that's one thing that was kind of important to me too is to show the soldiers' perspective and to kind of show the timelessness, I guess, of that occupation, whether you're in a fantasy world or the real world, how running with boots with holes in your socks just is not a lot of fun and just the general uh i guess inconveniences of everyday life as a soldier i try to include some of that as well 
So you mentioned earlier about Knowles, and I wanted to ask you that question, but you kind of already did answer it. But that, but that's basically why you went with Knowles is the uh, the chittering sound. You know how unsettling that would be. Yeah. So as a DM, like I said, I started playing D and D probably back in sixth grade. And my friends actually introduced me to it. And then they're like, hey, you should be the DM. And I didn't really even know what any of that was or what any of that meant. But it kind of sucked at the time because they all got to make these really cool characters and (laughs) get all these magic items. And then they're like, yeah, and you have to tell the story and control all the monsters. And I was like, oh, well, that doesn't sound as much fun. But it ended up being a ton of fun. And then I just ended up being typecast as the DM for probably my whole D&D career, or at least 90% of it. And yeah, so as the DM, a lot of the times I would use Knowles just because I always thought they were a really cool monster race and underutilized compared to like orcs and everything else that everybody used all the time. Yeah, then when I was in South Africa, uh, I live in Ohio now. My girlfriend goes to Ohio University. She was born in Bulgaria and her family lives in South Africa. And I went to South Africa to visit her family back in 2018. And there's a story there, too, which I'll get back to, uh, which, you know, is kind of what prompted me to actually start writing back then. But while I was out there, I got to go on a few different safaris where, you know, we kind of drove around on the different game drives out there. And... During the nighttime, like you would just start to hear all the hyenas making these chittering noises. And they're, you know, that chittering laughter is kind of unsettling on its own just because it's such a weird noise and other animals don't make it. And then it also sounds vaguely human, which is even weirder. Hearing like just one or two on their own is, you know, I think what most people get when they watch like David Attenborough or whatever else. But then when you hear them like all around you, like you hear one or two over there and then you hear one over there and then there's like another one coming behind you, it really gives you a whole different perspective. And so I was out there and thinking about fantasy books and everything and Knowles definitely came to mind and just kind of thinking about being a a D&D party on the run and then all of a sudden you're hearing all these noises and You know, maybe you're just hearing a few in front of you, so you're thinking about attacking, but then all of a sudden you're hearing them all around you and you can't see anything. I thought, wow, those are some pretty intimidating monsters. (laughs) Kind of like the local coyotes, only if they could like laugh at you and mock you. Yeah. (laughs) So when you write your gnolls, do you write them as just hyena people or as part demons? So in this book series i just wrote them as hyena people and there's only you know without going into the story too much there's only one that kind of really talks you know and has a conversation but for the lore purposes i did not uh they do not have any ties to demons or anything like that in my world just hyena people every time you answer a question get more interested in the story I have not had the opportunity to purchase the book yet, but all good, all good. Which is fine because you're basically selling the book directly to Cord right now. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I'm already. I'm in. So the here are the choices that you have. It's on ebook, paperback, or hardback. But if if you get one of those, you get some awesome artwork that comes with it because I have some really cool illustrations inside that accompany the story. 
but it's also been done on audiobook and the narrator who did it is man he did such an amazing job he's actually i can't believe i as a self-published indie author and this being my first book that i got the opportunity for it to become an audiobook first of all and then the person who did it is He's actually got a page on IMDb. He's an actor, Leah Sorio, and he's had a few roles in NCIS and True Detective, other things like that. And he's done audiobooks too, but yeah, he's nailed the audiobook for sure. Hey man, that's another tick on the page. I love when people read to me. <laughs> he does so good. Like he does a different voice for all the characters and None of them are like overly distracting, but they're all unique. And, you know, the, the coolest thing was hearing uh, Colonel Peshka's voice, the army commander, because, you know, I guess in my head, I didn't really know where I would place their accent. I guess I probably always thought of a, a British accent forum because most of the audiobook narrations I have for fantasy books are usually with like a British accent. So I guess I was kind of thinking like a general British accent, I guess, for people. And he picked this kind of like, uh, I don't know if you any of you've seen the um, Knives Out movie on Netflix. It's no, on no. my list. It's oh, literally yeah. on my it's list. So I know. I really want to see it. Well, Daniel Craig in it um, plays this detective named Benoit Blanc, and he has kind of like this like Southern gentleman, foghorn, leghorn accent. I was just going to say, I know that about it because I'm a huge Daniel Craig fan and my husband saw the movie. And once he was like, you have got to listen to Daniel do this crazy voice. That is all. Is that what he does? for? That's Peshka? what he picked for Colonel Peshka. And it's oh, like my God. foghorn, leghorn slash General Pat mixed together and it's so perfect it's amazing Hell, it's yes. it's worth the audiobook just for that voice oh my gosh okay that's that's fantastic <laughs> i was actually hoping you're gonna be like you know the character that daniel Craig plays yes i actually <laughs> do i have not seen the movie yet but i know all about that yeah he nailed it i mean like it, I, he he did such a good job. Like even Mort to me, Mort kind of sounds like a young Luke Skywalker from like the first Star Wars movie. And I mean, even Malthus too. Like he captured Malthus and gave him this like somewhat sniveling, somewhat sarcastic voice, and gave the Inquisitor this really awesome kind of Spanish-sounding accent. Like everybody, he did. It's ten out of ten for me for the audiobook. Awesome. So in case anybody was wondering, I did a little bit of research on Knowles. Because, you know, for the longest time, I would have thought they were just a D&D &D thing. But apparently it comes from Lord Dunsany, who's hmm. also a fantasy writer. And his idea was a gnome troll crossbreed. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting you bring that up, actually, because when I was in. Yeah, don't don't think too hard about how the mechanics of that would actually work. <laughs> right. I, yeah, I, it's I, a stone. I pictured it in my head for like a second. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's actually funny you bring that up, though, because when I was actually past the point of writing, like I had finished the book and I was waiting for feedback from the editor and, and everything. So like I was at the point of no return, basically, you know, I'd already finished my book and all this stuff and decided, you know, to make a loosely based Dungeons and Dragons world um, and use gnolls and necromancy and 
you know, reference some of the other schools of magic and D&D. And then all the stuff with the OGL came out and, you know, mm-hmm. with uh, Wizards of the Coast taking back the OGL and not letting anybody use any of their content. And so I was mm-hmm. like sweating because I had Knowles in there. And that's when I did a bunch of research on the history of Knowles and other D&D monsters to make sure it wasn't a Gary Gygax. Yep. Yeah, we we actually had a couple episodes in where that came up because we do our Cord versus Cryptid episodes and I was really chomping at the bit about do I switch from 5e to do those or do I uh, do I take on the new Cobalt Press stuff which I still backed and just as a backup plan because <laughs> right. that OGL thing was an absolute disaster for so many people and I'm still not convinced that they're like not going to do something stupid so yeah. I wouldn't put it past them I mean, they not long after that, they had uh, I can't remember all the details of the story, and I don't know if it's been updated since then. But somehow somebody got a Magic the Gathering card that like released early and I don't and it was like sent to them. And then they had the Pinkertons. Yes, the Pinkertons sent the Pinkertons to his actual house. Like, who does that? It's not the 1800s. Thank you. Oh, you don't Seriously? know that cord? No. What? Yeah, where I talked about that. Oh what? man, they they sent the actual Pinkerton agents to this guy's house to confiscate the card and everything. Some of the memes were hilarious. I saw one <laughs> where it was like this guy sitting in his room and he was wearing like a duster coat and a cowboy hat, and he's like, <laughs> "I'm ready. I'm ready, Wizard of the Coast." <laughs> the big, thick, curly mustache. <laughs> <laughs> And the Pinkertons after me. I can't believe that the Pinkertons still exist. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, they still exist. The enemy of the working class person since (laughs) 1800-something. We could do a whole episode on that. (laughs) We probably should. For fun. (laughs) Should probably do a whole series. (laughs) Right? So, going back to South Africa once again. Yeah. You had something happen to you there, and that is apparently where you got kind of like, hey, I should probably start writing this book. Yes. So um, the South Africa story. I've been a big fantasy nerd. I've read books my whole life and read a ton when I was in the army while I was deployed. Distantly in the back of my head, I'd always kind of dreamt of being an author one day and writing my own book one day, but never got around to it, just never really felt like I was good enough or ready. And I spent, uh, you know, the last few years before I had gone to South Africa, you know, I guess this dream had kind of become a bit more conscious lately, you know, especially after reading Joe Abercrombie, I feel like he kind of rekindled my interest in reading and then also wanting to be a writer myself one day. And so, you know, while I was in South Africa, I had four or five books on writing, how to start writing your first novel, how to write better, blah, blah, blah. 
And while I was over there, I woke up one morning and was started vomiting blood. I had a hemorrhage in my esophagus, an ulcer had ruptured. And so I was bleeding in my stomach and, you know, overnight, then I just woke up and threw up a bunch of blood and pretty, definitely pretty horrible and gnarly looking. And I had to get rushed to the hospital once I got there. Oh, and oh, by the way, it was also Christmas Eve. And so once we got to the hospital, like there wasn't anybody on staff who could work on me. So then we had to go to another hospital. And so by this time I'm in a car and I have like a Tupperware container or something and I've thrown up blood a few more times. And so I make it to the next hospital and they luckily do have someone there that can work on me. But by this time I had lost so much blood, like I'm starting to go into shock. I can remember my fingers tingling and my lips tingling. And I remember my girlfriend was like, freaking out, arguing with the front counter because we were trying to figure out like how I would pay for it and all this stuff. And let me just say, you know, thank God that the country that this happened in both had good medical service and had a realistically priced medical program because we had to pay out of pocket. I did get this money reimbursed, but we had to pay out of pocket. And so paying for emergency surgery for blood transfusions and for four or five days in the ICU came out to $5,000. That would be $500,000 yeah. in America, you know, Easy. or Ooh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. Uh, that's a whole other, whole other podcast series is our healthcare <laughs> system. <laughs> oh. uh, so anyways, I, you know, luckily the doctor who was there, I guess was this amazing doctor too. I can't remember his name, but he was a doctor who specialized in like this particular thing. He was the one who was there to work on me. And so they patched me back up, stopped the bleeding. And then I was in the ICU for like four or five days because I had lost so much blood. So anyways, I'm sitting in the ICU for five days and I have a pile of books next to me about starting to write. And I had kind of an epiphany then that, you know, tomorrow isn't promised and I could keep waiting to write my book and never get the opportunity to do it. So I actually started working on my book that night there in the hospital bed. It's a good thing that doctor was around, right? Jeez. <laughs> yeah, no Damn, kidding. Man. I mean... Seriously, had we gone to any other hospital and had they not had the right doctors on staff, I mean, by the time we got to hospital too, I was going shocks. I mean, that would have been it. Damn, that's that's scary. It is. It is really crazy. Like I think about that day a lot because we were supposed to go from Johannesburg to Cape Town also that morning. And so like had all this stuff happened a few hours later, like while we were on the road and stuck in traffic and stuff, you know, that would have been probably the end of it there too. I say to anybody listening to this, if you're thinking about writing one day um, and sitting around reading books on how to write, don't keep waiting forever. Start writing today while you're reading and write that book that is stuck inside you. Is that in the timeline of your life? Were you out of service then? Yeah, it was after I was out of the army, which is oh, kind of God. interesting too, because I have had some close calls in the army and some near-death experiences then. And even before the army, really, I've had kind of a crazy wild life in a few cases and have had other few near-death experiences as well. But there weren't any that were as 
Um, I guess that were as psychologically impactful as that one was, you know, that one was the one that really made me realize my mortality and that if I really want to write a book, I can't keep waiting around forever. So anyways, yeah, it was, it was after the army, after some of those other near death experiences. Luckily, knock on wood, I haven't had any other near death experiences since then and hopefully won't have any for a while. Yeah. Thank goodness. (laughs) Yeah. You earned it. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? We're good. We're done now. Which is also, you know, also the irony isn't lost on me too, that the book that I wrote was about necromancy. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say you're into shrooming and that might be taken the wrong way. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, but (laughs) mushrooms, man. What, how, how did you, (laughs) where did that come from? That was another interesting thing for me moving out here because in California where I was at, I I lived out in the middle of the desert. So hardly ever got any rain, definitely hardly ever see any mushrooms or anything. And I would say my probably original interest in mushrooms started as a young kid playing Super Mario and (laughs) (laughs) uh, getting mushroom power-ups. Like most. Yeah, like most. (laughs) And, you know, I always thought they were kind of cool. And then I come out here and I hear people talking about morels and I've never heard that word before. And people showed me pictures of them. And for anyone who is not from this part of the country and has not heard of the morel mushroom before, look it up because it's one of the craziest, weirdest looking mushrooms that I never knew existed till I came out here. And so that kind of started this rabbit hole for me where I just got more and more interested in mushrooms. And I mean, they're honestly super fascinating, like, and it's definitely a rabbit hole, you know, and once I really got into it and finding out about how mycelium works and how there's this giant network, the underground that connects mushrooms, the mushrooms that we see are really just the tip of the iceberg. and. So I got more and more interested in them, and I actually have grown some of my own. I've grown some of my own oyster mushrooms and shiitake mushrooms, and I've read several books on mycology. And believe it or not, I actually have a mushroom identification certification card from this place called Mushroom Mountain, and I had to take a identification test for it. And I guess it's recognized in five different states, and it allows me to forage wild mushrooms and sell them. That is actually pretty impressive because there are so many mushrooms that look like other things. So it's like you think this one's safe to eat, and then you find out that there's three that are very similar to that one yeah. that are not. <laughs> so yeah. you know. It takes a real meticulous eye to be doing that. Yeah, you definitely have to be careful. So there's basically two kinds of categories of edible mushrooms. There's edible mushrooms that don't have any kind of poisonous lookalikes. And so those are the easy ones like chicken of the woods, for example, is one. It's this other morels are another good one because there 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 is one that kind of looks like MRL, but there's easy way to make sure that not one. There's basically mushrooms that don't have poisonous lookalikes that are edible. And then there's mushrooms that are edible, but also have poisonous lookalikes. So those are like hard level ones. <laughs> and I've, I've only risked like one or two of those. And, you know, you can, you can get very certain of it being a certain type of mushroom because there's 
several different ways to identify them other than just the way that they look, you know, their color, things like that. Um, you can also uh, take a spore print by cutting the cap off and putting it on a piece of paper and letting some of the spores come out of the mushroom to see what color they are. Because a lot of the ones that are poisonous, the poisonous lookalikes have very different colored spores than the ones that are edible. So you can tell by that way as well. But, you know, some of the ones that, you know, at that point, it's like you have to go through all that work just to make sure that it, you're 98% sure it's not poisonous. Like, is it really even worth it at that point? So most of the time I stick to the ones that are edible and have no uh, poison. Like. Safe bet. That's good for me. All right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I just read an article recently that um, mycology is something to, to like to go for. Now there's like a, a 5% increase in job security if like that's the way to go. So interesting. Yeah. I think in the next few years, it's actually going to go up. I think it really is uh, taking off and going to take off more. Mycology is in a very interesting place right now because it's a very new science. Like there, there's a lot of things that are still being discovered by it. And most colleges don't really have a very well-founded mycology program. You know, they may have like, even their biology courses may have like one specialized course on mushrooms at a, a given college, but even that's not, you know, a given. So really a lot of the people that are advancing mycology and the study of mycology are amateur mycologists like me. Uh, I'm not one of these people advancing the field of mycology by any means. I just have grown a few mushrooms myself, but it's interesting because a lot of the people that are doing that have just been self-taught and are, you know, just figuring things out for themselves. But they're doing some really fascinating stuff with mushrooms now where they're finding certain fungi that can devour plastic and get rid of that so we don't have that in our landfills. And they are also doing some other interesting things with mushroom mycelium where they're using that as like packing material instead of styrofoam or are even able to make things like bricks and other construction material out of it. And it's biodegradable and even things like leather and just like vegan mushroom meat. Um, are some of the other really interesting things that they're going out into with mycology. I think I actually heard a while ago of someone doing an experiment and actually being able to have fungi like just absorb hard crude oil. Yeah, that's one of the interesting things about mycelium is that it goes so deep in the soil that it can pull out a lot of like oil that seeps down in there or even like heavy metals not the music but the stuff in the <laughs> soil the heavy metal pollutants that can kind of pull that stuff out and put it in the mushroom and you know then you can dispose of the mushroom elsewhere but that's also another helpful mushroom tip is if you ever see edible mushrooms but you see them around construction sites or where they're building new roads and stuff like that then it might not be a good idea to eat them because they can absorb some of the pollutants and stuff from that and bring it up into the mushroom the more you know yeah <laughs> so not only are you going to inspire people to begin writing their books like asap but now you're going to see an increase in mycology thanks to casey <laughs> i could do two things in the world that yes. would be them <laughs> <laughs> and the the two are definitely linked for me because i um 
I, I mean, I love just walking out in the woods and going out for nature walks and looking for when it's morel season, hunting for morels for sure. And that's where I get a lot of my, some of my best story ideas, just walking out in the woods, looking for mushrooms, enjoying nature. Hell yeah. Today's musical guest is going to be Indy Anthony. Now, you guys might have actually seen him at some point. He's a huge TikTok influencer. He's on Instagram, too, but most of the time I've seen him on TikTok. And I reached out and I said, hey, can I play your song Watching You Go? Because it's awesome. He also has a YouTube channel for all of his music. I would say that it's kind of a cross between Joy Division and uh, the musical part is sort of Joy Division. And then the vocals are definitely remind me of a band called The Dark, if anybody knows that one. Or it's just, I think it says Dark, actually. And they're from Hamburg. So check out all of those things. Baby Bats need to check out Joy Division because that's old school. Dark is awesome. They're a little bit newer. And then, of course, Indy Anthony is our guest. So uh, you're going to be listening to Watching You Go. And then when we get back, we're going to talk with Casey about where to find Malthus. Frankenstein, please. Should I do it more zombie since we're necromancers today? <laughs> there we go. Not bad. I like that. Uh, well, first of all, Casey, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun. And of course, we want everybody to read Malthus. So, where's the best places that we can get it? All right. So, um, Malphus is on Amazon. Uh, Malphus Necromancer Unchained is on Amazon and it's available on ebook, paperback, and hardcover there as well as audio. And uh, Greedy is a Ghoul, the free prequel short story, is also on Amazon. Um, like I said, the ebook is free. Uh, the paperback is also for sale on Amazon. But you can also go to my website at kcsuttonwrites.com and I have a link on there on the front of the page, really easy to see, um, where you can also buy signed copies of the book directly from me um, for both the paperback and hardcover, which I was able to keep the pretty much the same price as Amazon. Uh, the paperback is $5 more from me. Uh, to help pay for shipping, but you can get signed copies of those from me. And I also did a limited run of Sprayed Edges for Malthus, and you can get some of those from me as well. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's where they paint the edge of the book with the paper side and put some cool designs on there. I have some skulls on mine, so you can see that on the website as well 
So yeah, that's where you can get Malthus. Uh, the audiobook is only available on Amazon. Can't get that one for me, unfortunately. And then you can also follow me on TikTok, on Instagram, and Facebook. And my handle for pretty much everything is Casey Sutton Wright. It's all one word. And I also just wanted to mention that um, you got dressed up as Malthus, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. I went to... Um, origins game fair in columbus ohio i i would definitely recommend going if it isn't too far of a drive for you all but they do it every year and it's a huge gaming convention and they have everything from indie game designers showing off their games to other fantasy authors there to places where you can just find people to play and test out some of these role-playing games and stuff like that so that was really fun just going there, period. But when I went there, I dressed up as Malthus and my girlfriend, Vicky, dressed up as a zombie and we handed out some Malthus bookmarks. It was like a week or two before my book actually came out. Uh, so, yeah, it was kind of fun hyping my book up there a little bit. All right. So once again, thank you for joining us. Hopefully you'll be back again. Who knows? Maybe you should, you should come on and talk like we'll do our spooky Ohio asylum episode and you can come on and just join us to chat about that. That'd be great. In between waiting for book two. (laughs) Yeah, I'd love that. I'd love to be on again. I can definitely talk more about mushrooms or ghosts or D and D or video games. I can talk about any of that nerdy stuff. Taking us out again is going to be Indy Anthony with watching you go. And as always stay spooky. And don't die. But if you do, contact us. Through finding your local necromancer office, and they'll get us to Mission Spooky Podcast. <laughs>